the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We are into game week number three in this 2023 Penn State football season. The 2-0 Nittany Lions stay put at number seven in national rankings. Both the coaches poll and the AP Top 25 poll came out on Sunday afternoon. A Nittany Lions not moving, a lot happening above them and ahead of them in the top ten. But staying put at number seven as Big Ten action awaits. The Fighting Illini will host Penn State 11 a.m. local time. On the road this weekend, Saturday afternoon, well, Saturday late morning, I suppose, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen will be on location covering that one for us. I'll be here in Happy Valley headquarters. we got a lot to get to on the podcast. Before we turn our focus to Illinois, we will have Jeremy Werner, who covers the fight in Illini as a beat reporter with 24-7 Sports. He will talk to us on Tuesday. But this is our Monday edition of the podcast, which means we've got some recruiting discussion coming up with Tyler Calvaruso. And we begin by welcoming Mark Brennan, who we don't have on the postgame pod because he's busy at work doing a ton of different things for the site after these games. Daniel and I had you covered. We went almost an hour on Saturday evening about what we saw in Beaver Stadium as Penn State won 63-7 to against the Delaware Blue Hands. And Mark, welcome back. We've got a 2-0 team to talk about. And based on our predictions and, and what happened, pretty much was par for the course. And in fact, you could say they really exceeded our expectations based on our predictions. Yeah, I think uh, some of us, me especially, underguesstimated how badly uh, Penn State was going to win that game. I did want to say this for anybody watching. If you're listening, you won't see this, but I have this blue Gatorade. You know, th- that's a it's a familiar sight for anybody who watches the James Franklin press conferences because he always has one up there and he never opens it. So this may or may not have been stolen from the Beaver Stadium <laughs> uh, <laughs> media room. Somebody for those who don't, for those who don't know. Yeah, for those who don't yeah. know, Mark Brennan's perch during postgame uh, media work is re- pretty much right up where James Franklin sits during the press conference. James Franklin leaves. Drew Aller sits there. I think Bo Berbula came and sat there for a bit. Eventually, Mark Brennan is going to sit there and get his work done. Well, they, And maybe they, take, a, take a Gatorade as well. Somebody may have slid the Gatorade over kind of to my area, and I may or may not have taken it. So I thought it was kind of funny to just uh, – because he always has it there, and he never actually opens it. But, no, in all seriousness, Tyler, it, it's weird because y- you talk about – uh, college football and, and what separates it from almost every other sport is that there's no preseason. But for Penn State, it's almost like there was a preseason, right? I mean, yeah, these games counted, but you open up with West Virginia, you play you, a game where you play your starters a significant amount and you're able to get your reserves in late, and then you follow it up with Delaware. I think it worked out really well for Penn State where you play your starters, some of them a half, some of them didn't even play a half. And, and you're you're able to get your backups in for that whole second half. So I think the way those first two games played out, irrespective of how badly Penn State pummeled Delaware, I just think the fact uh, in terms of snap counts, and I, I would encourage anybody, uh, one of the best features that Tyler does is the snap counts every week from out of each game. And this one is just absolutely fascinating. So if you haven't done so yet, go to our go go to the site. Depending on where you're listening to this, right now it's it, it's front and center right there. But check out the snap counts from this game. And I know we'll get into it a little bit later. But to me, it's just absolutely fascinating how how much some backups played and how little some starters played. And I think that's a great thing going into your Big Ten opener on the road. 
I felt pretty positive about where Penn State was coming out of that matchup Saturday evening when we had our postgame podcast and when we're breaking down the results. I feel a lot better about it, of what they got out from a comprehensive package from those 60 minutes after I sat down for several hours, went through the snap counts and, and provided that uh, analysis at lines247.com, which that'll be up every Monday after these games. But this one in particular, we knew it was going to be a doozy. You know, Just for, a, for an instance here, and we'll get into some details on this a little bit later in the episode, but this offensive line had 10 different guys go for 25 plus snaps that included two non-starters and Nick Dawkins and Drew Shelton going for 60 snaps on the day that included three different true freshman offensive linemen going for 25 plus snaps and oh by the way not a single member of the entire Nittany Lions defense played 25 snaps Javen Williams played more than any defender on this Penn State roster. Anthony Donka played more football on Saturday than any defender on the Penn State roster. Same for Chimdi Ono at right tackle, who we'll probably not see for the most of the remainder of the season. He played more than the Abdul Carters and the Denaida Suttons and the Kalen Kings of the world on Saturday. So you get to Big Ten play. Yeah, you got that 2-0 mark. You've got a couple wins that were comfortable but you've also got what should be very fresh legs. You've got some reinforcements still to come, I think, for this roster. But generally speaking, the guys who have been out there for the last two weeks, uh, Penn State has done a tremendous job in managing the situation. And it didn't necessarily come to light for me quite, uh, quite as effectively as when I sat down and saw the numbers in front of my face and started to realize, wow, I mean, there's not like a lot of teams across the country right now who have beaten a Power 5 team and whoever they played in Week 2 and get to Week 3 with this kind of a lopsided cumulative score and this kind of a snap distribution across your roster, they're in a really good spot with 10 regular season games left. Yeah, I mean, it was to the point, Tyler, where during the game, Olu left the game so early that people were, I think, rightfully wondering, is he okay? And I I, I fully went into the post-game press conference intending to ask, you know, w- was that a matter of just load management or – you know, what was something else in play to the extent that Franklin could answer it? And uh, he 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 addressed that even before it got to questions. I mean, he said the fact that they it was great that they were able to get Hunter Norzad and Olu out of there uh, so early. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think especially for that offensive line, for people who haven't looked at the stats, I mean, the, the only negative out of this game to me is that you had 91 snaps for the offense and you had mm-hmm. – 41 snaps for the defense and there's nothing anybody could have done about that i mean it's just the way that the game played out but it goes under a few more first downs maybe right right yeah it's a few more first downs but it it goes to what you're talking about i mean you look at the snap counts so that was awesome for the offense and all these backup offensive linemen and backup receivers and backup running backs and backup tight ends and you know everybody but i do think if there was a disappointing part of that game, and it's nothing anybody could have handled, I'm not being critical of anybody, it's just the way the game played out, is that your defense was only out there for 41 snaps. I mean, and that, you know, to me, you know, I looked at a guy like Zane Durant, and after the game, he was was somebody I mentioned as an unsung hero, and I didn't realize how unsung. I mean, what did (laughs) you have him for? Zane Durant, 15 15, snaps, 15 snaps, four four tackles in a sack in that work, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and one and a half tackles for loss, which the sack factors into that. But it's like if you factor that out over a typical workload of, of, of 30 or 40 snaps, it's like, oh, my God, this guy, he should have been player of the game. And I'm, I'm only saying that half jokingly. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I just thought the way that they that played out, that's the one thing. And then the other thing I would have liked to have seen. And again, nothing you can do about it. 
because when you're in the red zone and you go eight for eight and score eight touchdowns, but the one thing we said going into the game, it would be nice if the field goal unit was put into a position where they had to kick a field goal or, goal or two. And I know they went for it on a couple of fourth downs. Some of our, our folks pointed that out to me when I, when I mentioned that. But you, you can't argue with the success that they had offensively. But after the way the field goal unit, field goal unit struggled uh, in the opener against West Virginia, that, that would have been nice to see. But again, one of those things, you, you, nobody's to blame. It's just the way that the game came out. And, uh, you know, I – I guess we're going to see when they when they go out to Illinois, you know, if one of those kickers is put into a pressure situation, uh, what they're how they're able to handle it. Yeah, and and Mark, I do want to get back to the game snaps and, and kind of yeah. where they are coming out of, of this two game sample size a little bit later on, on the show. Um, and by the way, we got Tyler Calvaruso coming to, to break down recruiting some 2024 class conversation, some early whiteout guest list conversation as well. But but let's circle back to the 63 to seven win. We don't have to go deep into it because we had the whole podcast, but we haven't heard from you quite about what you saw. You said some of the things that were maybe left there on the field that we didn't get to see. But when you came away from this one and you put together your report card and your top take takeaways piece and everything the photo gallery got a second look at everything over again what was your biggest kind of well this is what we learned about Penn State during 60 minutes of action in Beaver Stadium I thought the biggest thing the the, the two biggest things from a, from a, a a big picture perspective uh were the fact that they got out of that thing healthy and that they they got a lot of backup snaps backups snaps which we, we kind of touched on but when you drill down into the various players I was just like, you know, I know a lot of people would make a case for Katron Allen to be the player of the game, but I looked at Drew Allers. When you take a second look at that, and I had incredible first 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 fourteen. I think you had it fourteen or fifteen. I'm probably wrong there. Regardless, whichever it is, was crazy. Yeah. And, and he he had three incompletions, and then he completed his last eight passes, and it's like. My goodness, this is just absolutely unbelievable what, what this kid is doing. And, you know, the, the stat that, that, that you know, we talked about last week was there was only one pass that traveled more than 20 yards downfield. I don't want to say more than 20 yards in the air because a lot of his passes that are going to the sidelines are, are, are traveling 20 yards mm -hmm. in the air, about a fraction of a second, but 20 yards downfield. And they had zero passes of more than 20 yards downfield against Delaware. And what's that telling you? It's telling you that number one, Drew Aller's arm strength, as we mentioned last week, is an asset in the short and medium passing games as much as it will be in the in the, in the deep zones. I mean, some of those out passes, and we were in the press box looking at one another. It's like, are you kidding me? That's like it's like ridiculous what you're seeing. From Maybe maybe we'll be used to this guy by like October. I hope not. I hope we're never used to quarterback play like this. But but through through the second game, uh, there's a bunch of passes where you're just like, I'm really like really seen this before in this kind of way. I mean, I, I've seen we've seen you know just guy like Justin Fields come to town. We've seen some some really impressive quarterback play. But I just it's a little bit different when you put it in that six foot four, two hundred and forty pound frame and remind yourself that he's just beginning his sophomore year. Yeah, and and not just you, and, and that's the thing. It's like everybody's like, this guy has this huge arm, and everybody was expecting it's going to be all deep balls. Well, it's no. I mean, th th and 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 that's that's why NFL scouts are going nuts over this guy, because a lot of people can throw good deep balls, but to be able to use that arm strength effectively, 
and the way he climbed the pocket. Like if you look at his pocket presence and listen, I, I get that that it was Delaware. I completely get that. And I get that there are going to be instances where he's going to climb that pocket and somebody's going to try to knock his block off. But the way he is able to almost like a the Terminator, you know, keep his eyes moving like as he as he's moving up and and, and hitting people, I, I think we're seeing something really special here. And yeah, I, I thought he was going to be that guy, but it's been even more impressive. Now let's see what happens when they're able when, when a team's able to get more pressure because eventually somebody will. But but to date. I mean, so that's why when I look at that game, I think everything about this offense, as, as terrific as the running backs are, as terrific as the tight ends are, the offensive line, I love the depth that we're seeing. You know, it was really on display. And the receivers, I think, are stepping up, just not one or two guys, but but more guys. I think everything revolves around Al, what, what Aller's able to do. And I think that's going to be the case going forward. So he was my player of the game. And then, I mean, I, I don't think we can – I'm sure you guys hashed it out after the game, but with Katron, you know, James Franklin, we all had a kind of a, a feeling that he was going to be the guy who started this game. And, and sure enough, he was after what James Franklin said uh, last week, you know, about how he hopes he's appreciated. And he should he – sh- I have absolutely zero problem in talking to Nick Singleton after the game. He had zero problem with it either. And so you have a you know Catron rushes for 100 yards plus and a touchdown and Singleton three touchdowns you know these again it's almost like these are preseason games and these guys are staying fresh and you're going to have them ready to go you know late in the year I didn't even I didn't even put a defender on I if it would have been going back I would have put Zane Durant as one of my players of the game just cuz I didn't realize how few snaps he played uh, but I think you also look at Keandre Lambert Smith and you look at Tyler Warren, you know, receiver tight end, targeted a total of 12 times, 12 catches. Yeah. And how many of those f- for Keandre were first downs? So, you know, two guys that you're really counting on. And, uh, you know, don't sleep on on uh, Theo Johnson. He's going to be fine. There's nothing wrong there. People are just really focusing on him. And this is what happens when you have really good players. People are going to focus on them. And ideally, you're able to find other people, and that's what Penn State's doing. So those were kind of the guys who stood out to me. And I, I was happy that uh, I was able to mention Zane Durant earlier because I probably didn't give him enough credit for a guy who didn't even start. Um, they started Devon Ellis, which, again, I completely get because you want maybe in some games you want more of a one-technique tackle, a bigger 300-plus pounder. Uh, but the way they're able to kind of mix and match people on a defensive front is real positive. Yeah, and and we all said they wanted to avoid kind of that repeat morning flag game from a couple of years ago against a, a very high quality FCS opponent in Villanova, but an FCS opponent nonetheless. And just going back to that day, uh, Penn State was three of twelve on third down efficiency uh, on Saturday against Delaware. Uh, they were nine of fifteen in that department, and I believe that they were like somewhere around seven of nine when Drew Aller was was the quarterback out there. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, three sacks surrendered against Villanova that day. Uh, they averaged less than three yards per rush uh, today or on Saturday while using 10 different guys on their offensive line. And, and while you know, 
changing those guys from left guard to right guard and right tackle to left tackle. They did not surrender a single sack against the Blue Hens, and they averaged 5.3 yards per rush attempt. So you can't really point your finger and say we learned something bad about this offense. And I'm with you. As long as Drew Aller keeps stacking performances, it's going to put you in a very enviable position when it comes to your offense being evaluated by opposing defensive coordinators, because we're entering pick your poison territory from a positional standpoint with the running back room, with the, what the wide receivers have put on film through a first couple of games, especially at the top of that group. And then as well, what we know this tight end group is capable of. I mean, if Drew Aller can, can deliver these kind of performances by my count, he's put one ball in harm's way and Keandre Lambert Smith took care of that in the end zone against West Virginia, batting that out of the defensive backs hands. He's got 12 incompletions though on the season does Drew Aller. Uh, and, and I think three, three of them or four of them reached receivers hands in week one, one was knocked down at the line of scrimmage. There's just not a lot of passes being thrown out there that are capable of a defense exploiting and are capable of swinging the momentum of a game when you've got two inferior opponents. And that's a big part of the bottle when you've got a young quarterback leading the way for you, especially early season games, can they just avoid putting the ball in the hands of the opponents, putting opportunities in the hands of the opponents? Drew Aller has done everything except from that. Uh, so I think you come away feeling really great about where things are offensively. Uh, we both obviously picked big, uh, big blowout wins. I, I had it 52 to three. I know you mentioned your margin was a little bit closer. What do you have here? Uh, 40, uh, 47 to 10 which isn't that close, small of a margin, but we also have bold predictions and you suggested we, we kind of revisit those here on a Monday. Um, and I'll, so I'll let you start here, which was a particularly funny one because I believe his first opportunity to, to get you right uh, sailed out of the sailed out of the sideline, maybe into the stands from Delaware's punter. Yeah. My, uh, my prediction was uh, <laughs> Caden Saunders returning a, uh, a punt return for a touchdown. And I, I'm telling you, I still like that prediction, even though I couldn't spit it out last week. He had so many opportunities. I mean, that that punter has a has a big leg, and he definitely outkicked his coverage, didn't he? I mean, I don't think Caden Saunders is going to have that many opportunities. Five <laughs> returns, yeah, for, for the, twenty I mean, that, yards. That's for almost like yards. that's almost like unheard of anymore, right? I mean, because the, the way teams are able to cover cover at this level, well, that's the issue is that when you when you drop down a level, you don't have the overall, uh, you know, just level of athleticism. And uh, so I, I I would have loved to see him be able to bust one. The key is he's catching every single punt, you know, and, and showing good hands, even when people are in his face, even when he kind of got knocked over half by his own guy, half by somebody else. Uh, but I want to see a little bit more jukiness and, 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 and get out there and maybe bust something. So my bold prediction uh, was wrong, but I'm still comfortable that I made it because the concept behind it, I think, w yeah. was okay. No, I'll give you credit. That was like that was one that really like was applicable for this game and maybe not many others. Uh, we laughed a lot in the press pick. box though over the whole punter thing because if you didn't see the podcast last week, I completely <laughs> botched trying to explain who the punter was and I couldn't get it out. And, and these guys were rightfully. Uh, busting my chops about it, and uh, but it was funny, and it was uh, it, it was all in good fun, and but I'm like, please return this to shut these guys up so I can look <laughs> good. And Caden wasn't able to do it, but the concept was there. 
Well, you had 47 to 10. Daniel was right there with you, 48 to 10 Penn State winning. I guess I, I won in terms of the point spread with a 49 in favor of Penn State. It still wasn't enough as it turned out with that 63 to 7 victory. Uh, Daniel's bold prediction was that Singleton and Katron Allen would break off runs of 40 plus a piece. And actually, Daniel came on the postgame podcast and said, it feels like Nick Singleton is really due going into Big Ten play. I think he's he's topped out at about 12, 13 yards this season. Yeah. I think he was held to uh, to under 10 on all of his carries against uh, Illinois. Of course, three of those were, were touchdowns from fewer than five yards or uh, for fewer than six yards. But uh, so that didn't come to fruition. And mine was off. I, I should have just said four different Nittany Lions players would reach the end zone via run. Bo Perbula got into that act and, and Drew Aller did as well as rushers. Uh, but I said four different uh, Nittany Lions running backs would score a touchdown. I uh, ended up just being Singleton with one, Katron Allen with three. Uh, I'm sorry, Singleton with three, Katron Allen with two, or one. Getting that one all off. Uh, but uh, Trey Potts got involved, 50-plus yards. He didn't score. Um, and we didn't see those two freshmen. Th that was kind of – Daniel and I mentioned that in the post-game post -game podcast. One of the things that kind of was left off the field here was getting a chance to see either Cam Wallace or London Montgomery. I thought one of those two ha maybe have an opportunity late in this game, get themselves in the end zone, have a nice little story from their college debut. Instead, Penn State went Tank Smith, uh, Tyler Holsworth, the the, uh, the, the running backs uh, who have been on the roster as walk-ons. And – Mentioned this in the snap counts. I think I talked about on the podcast, but maybe that lends a little bit of, of 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 credence toward Penn State trying to stockpile opportunities for this for this tandem to redshirt. We haven't seen a, a, a freshman running back redshirt since Jaywan Sider came to town in 2018. Uh, but this maybe illustrates something there uh, about where Cam Wallace and London Montgomery are long term plans here for the 2023 season or maybe what they want them to be available for uh, a two to three game stretch later in the season without having an early season uh, appearance bite them and, and maybe cost them a burned red shirt later on. Uh, Mark, when you we win, went, though. We, hey, hey we're, we're giving the uh, nod to you on the bold <laughs> predictions because you were the closest. Okay. Hey, I'll take that. Uh, and by we, so, I mean uh, me. I'm, I'm talking like NASCAR people, like, yeah, myself, <laughs> I, I call we. Well, Daniel will be back on the podcast Tuesday. I'm sure he'll approve of, of that measure, though. And, and let's get into, uh, after revisiting those predictions, just examining a little bit more of, of how this thing's uh, unfolded from a personnel standpoint, Mark. I mentioned it being a big day for the offensive line with all that involvement. Over on the defensive lineman, even without two veterans there, Amin Vanover, Kazai Izzard, uh, their absence extended through a second game. He had 13 defensive linemen play, and none of them uh, reached 20 snaps in this contest, uh, Mark. So uh, you're, sh you're sharing the wealth. You had Devon Ellis start at defensive tackle. I think he landed around 10 snaps on the day. And then you've got some of these younger guys involved. Ty Blaney was a freshman, got in there very late in the game. Caleb, Caleb Artis was over 10 snaps on the day. Uh, a guy like Zane Durant got some decent run. Uh, but to me, you know, Jameel Lyons, having a chance to see him flash multiple times, get home for a sack after what we've heard about him all preseason camp. And we only saw him out there for one defensive snap in week one. That was certainly validating uh, to, to see Lions out there in game action doing what he did. Uh, and Zariah Fisher played as many snaps as any defensive lineman as we continue to see him take advantage of his opportunity with Amin Vanover off the field and them going light on reps for guys like Adiza Isaac and, and, and Deny Dennis Sutton and Chop Robinson in this instance. It meant more work for Zariah Fisher. And, you know, you kind of keep checking things off that list uh, with his return from a 2022 injury. And uh, he's going to be a factor there. So there's not much to like point to and be like, we learned a ton about this guy in the defensive line. 
but they went really light across the board for guys who were going to play a ton of reps for them moving forward. And for them to be able to do that through two weeks here, Mark, without Amin Vanover available to you, without Kozai Izzard available to you, I think that's a really strong job by this coaching staff. Yeah, one guy I wanted to point out was Devon Townley. I mean, he only played six yep. snaps, but I was on the field after the game doing Brennan Cam, and I mean – you know, I'm not the smallest human being in the world, but I, I saw a Townley and I was like, whoa. I mean, I, I knew, I mean, you see it. I, I, I don't, I don't have my reading glasses, but I don't know. What are they listing at him at weight wise now? I think it's right around 280. Now he was two, he was announced at 220 pounds uh, on signing day in February of 2021. I believe he's now listed at 280 pounds. And he's like, he's gotta be six, six. I mean, he's, he's like a, yeah. a big kid and I know he didn't play a whole heck of a lot, but you can see why they really wanted to get this kid back and get him at D tackle because the frame definitely carries it. And uh, so he was a guy who absolutely jumped out at me. And then I think you made a good point in, in Lions, being able to get him out there. We heard good things about him uh, in, in preseason camp, uh, that he was one of those guys that's, that's on the fringe of being a green light. And you could see if they get an injury or two that he's a guy, boy, does he pass the look test as well when you're down there on the field. So uh, again, I agree with you. It's great to get some of those younger players uh, snaps in, in that kind of game. But as important as that is to be able to rest some of your other guys. Now, what's going to be interesting this week? You know, where are they with Amin Vanover and Kaziah Izzard? I mean, it seems from the outside looking in, to, to me at least, as if those guys probably could have played in a game like this. And are you just playing it safe and waiting to get them back when you enter Big Ten play? Uh, stay tuned Wednesday. We'll have practice reports. We'll let you know what we see, what we hear. Uh, but it's that that is the interesting part of it because you look at the depth they have, and if you were able to add those two guys to it, I think it's even more impressive. And the, let's get into it. Those mystery absences. We got to throw in Daquan Hardy, a guy that essentially a third year starter in that slot coverage role. He has not been on the field for this team in game action through two weeks. We saw him in practice action last Wednesday. He was not wearing his normal uniform number. And obviously that was a bit of a, a warning sign for us. We mentioned that in our practice report. Ultimately, he does not take the field with the team again. Uh, so with Daquan Hardy, it has meant a lot more work for Johnny Dixon inside. It's meant a lot more work for Kim Miller as a sophomore on the perimeter. It's also meant that uh, Zion Tracy has gone over, gone into double digits back-to-back -back games as a true freshman. We saw a lot more run for Elliott Washington. He went over 10 snaps, uh, another freshman at the cornerback spot. And Lamont Payne, even a third cornerback at the uh, in that freshman class, was out there on the field Saturday. That's all well and good and, and sharing the wealth. But Daquan Hardy, it's been hammered home to us over the course of 2023 that he's considered one of the more important pieces of this entire defense we're starting to get ready to buckle up and enter big 10 action and uh, all due respect to those defensive linemen this is another one where he's he's proven it uh, more that and, and in a larger role than either of those guys for an extended right. period of time so there's a lot of proof in the pudding with daquan hardy and right now there's just no pudding yeah i mean it's his versatility right i mean we've seen it over the last several years he's your slot corner he can do all sorts of different things in the prowler package he's not the biggest guy in the world but he's completely comfortable operating in the chaos near the line of scrimmage we've seen him come through with sacks we've seen him drop players uh tackles for loss and that's another guy i mean wednesday it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing with him the one thing i don't i i'm not sure about you tyler i didn't see him down there on the sideline at all I, I I was looking for him and maybe I was missing it, but but I didn't see him at all. So 
maybe we can get some clarity from James Franklin on Tuesday. I think that's going to be a fair question to ask. Uh, I know he, he doesn't want to talk about injuries, but I think when somebody isn't there on the sideline, I, I think that's a fair question that, that, that should be asked and, and has to be asked. And we'll see how James Franklin responds to it. But he's a guy who, as you mentioned, when, when you're getting into the grid of it in the Big Ten, he's been through the battles. He, he's been in big games. And as, 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 as well as Cam Miller has played, and I think he's got a tremendous upside, all we hear about how unbelievable his work ethic is. And the young guys, Zion Tracy and Elliott Washington, all we've heard is how athletic and how talented they are. You know, for this team to be as good as it needs to be, having Daquan out, Daquan Hardy out there is an important thing. Mark, we've got Tyler Calvaruso waiting in the wings to talk recruiting in just a moment, but I wanted to just get to a few more things on the freshman front. Yeah. Five freshman defensive backs were out there. You had Zakari Nelson and King Mack at safety in addition to that trio of cornerbacks. I thought that King Mack flashed as many as much as any freshman who was on the field. He had a couple tacks. He had a QB hurry, and he, it was also in a situation – I said tackles, right, not sacks. He had a couple tackles. Yeah. He had a QB hurry. Uh, and then with King Mack, I just thought the read and react instinctive nature was on display. You know, all the kind of stuff that we heard has put him in a position to be a playmaker in year one even in a safety room and by the way they played those top four safeties all of them 35 plus snaps in week one all of them were under 20 snaps here in week two so it, it, that's a good thing as well uh, and then Andrew Rappier the offensive lineman that we talked about getting involved as well and I, I wanted to note here no Malik Mega but we did see Omari Evans is something that we addressed on, on, on the podcast, but he ended up getting on uh, the post game podcast. He ended up over 20 snaps on the day, got a lot of extended work in the second half when, after entering the contest, caught that touchdown from Bo Pergula. So I thought that was a good sign. We didn't just see Omari Evans check in for four or five snaps or one series. He was out there for a long run. I think that bodes well for what he's going to mean to the offense uh, moving into big 10 action. And, uh, just at the top of this wide receiver group, we've been looking for trends pointing in the right direction, and we found them, Mark. I mean, with Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace, just wanted to quickly put this out there. Lambert-Smith now 70-plus receiving yards in four consecutive games. He did that in his career three times in the previous 33 games, and he started 24 of those 33 games. It's not like this is a guy who was waiting on the sideline for his opportunity. So he has hit some consistency. We've always talked about it's that's the key for him. And then Harrison Wallace. 10 catches right now on the season on fewer than 90 offensive snaps. Last year, he approached 400 total offensive snaps, and he had 19 total receptions. So those two guys getting it done at the top of your wide receiver group, we have a lot to learn. Uh, Dante Cephas was actually second among positional players with 36 receiving yards. It wasn't the fireworks kind of performance for them in week two that we saw in week one. Uh, but but a couple things throughout there. And the last note here, Olu Fashionu, 52% uh, participation on Penn State's offensive plays cumulatively game one and game two uh, that's not to, to say what's wrong with Olu that's to say Penn State put a plan in place with Olu when he decided to return for this 2023 season we heard quite a bit about it with with his snap count during preseason camp and some of the reasons why he wasn't always manning that left tackle position on the practice field now you're seeing that into the season we'll see what it looks like when they're in the thick of big 10 battles mark because I think it's a different scenario that plays out but you got this dynamic offensive tackle with all these NFL draft prospect accolades through these first couple games. You didn't get your quarterback beat up, and you've only got 52% of total snaps taxed on his body. That's a win. Yeah, I mean, Tyler, it wasn't that long ago where, where they had trouble getting five quality offensive linemen out there. <laughs> 
and now all of a sudden, listen, I, I get that there's a lot of eyes on Olu and, and rightfully so. But as I look at that offensive line for that game, uh, you know, number one, hopefully they announce the right offensive line starters the next time they're in Beaver Stadium. But number two, and on, on a serious note, I mean, a guy like Venga Ioani, for him to get the work that he did, man, I think that was huge in that game. I mean, you have him down for 58 snaps. That is so valuable uh, for How a about guy. Nick Dawkins? Yeah. And, but for Venga, you're right. Nick hasn't played a whole heck of a lot either. And having that backup center getting snaps is, is, is really helpful. But to me, when you look at Venga, not only that they played him, but they played him at both guard spots in the way they were able to rotate that. And then you have Drew Shelton coming in and playing more snaps or as many snaps as anybody else on the offensive line with 60 mm -hmm. playing both tackle spots. I mean, that is like gold. I mean, to, to, to have guys who can play, who are, are backups, who could play on either side, it, that that's – and uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is a, an NFL caliber offensive line, but – when you look at what NFL teams have to do with their rosters and the number of linemen that they could have active on a game day, it's usually seven or eight, right? And what and, and how do they get away with that? They get away with it because you have super versatile backups that you can move around and do different things. And then you add JB Nelson, who could play guard or tackle. And again, I always knock on wood. I hope every college football player stays healthy all season long. I don't want anybody to get hurt on any team. But we know in reality that isn't the case. Sooner or later, somebody's going to get bumped up. In the way that Phil Troutwine has been able to develop this depth, and then you get into a game like this, and you're able to get the all of these guys, all of these snaps, I, I just think that was one of the underlying kind of huge things in this game. Yeah. Drew Shelton played both tackle positions. He was pretty much a, a mainstay for half the game at left tackle. When you look at it, uh, then you had Salim Wormley, Vega Ioane, both playing left guard and right guard over the course of this one. You had Nick Dawkins, not just playing center, but also getting up, uh, getting some reps at right guard. And let me remind you while all this is happening, no sacks allowed 5.3 yards per carry. Great week of evaluation for Phil Troutwine to have all this film. Again, 25-plus snaps for all three of those true freshmen. A lot to work with. So I think that just kind of typifies what they were able to accomplish here uh, with the 63-7 win when you look below the surface a little bit in terms of uh, personnel development that could really help you out when we get deeper into this thing and the games feel like there's more hanging in the balance from a college football playoff and Big Ten title perspective. And, Mark, it's, it's time to dive into it with Tyler on recruiting, but you want to leave us with, with kind of your big – uh, storyline early on in week three as we get ready for Illinois. Penn State uh, initially a 16-point favorite based on the Caesar Sportsbook. Yeah, I mean, Illinois, I mean, just watching them against Kansas, uh, you, you wonder about that defense. I mean, it just did not look very good at all. But what I will say is underestimate that team at your own nine overtime peril. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got to. I, I know very well what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you, have, you that guy can coach, all right. And I don't think this Penn State team is going to overlook them simply because of that. I think James Franklin and most of his staff who were here at that time 
could just pop that tape in and say, listen, I mean, what were they, 21-point fa- uh, favorites or something in that game? I forget what the, the line was, but it was, a, it was a ridiculous line. And, you know, they laid an egg, and they got outcoached, and they got beat. So the main storyline this week, which I don't always agree with James Franklin and his 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, you better be 1-0 this week. You better be 1-0 because that's a team that's coming off a tough loss, and it's a, it's typically a well-coached team where it could be well-coached in spots, I guess I should say. But do not mess around. Go out there, take care of business. That's the key for Penn State this week. We'll be back uh, at the James Franklin press conference Tuesday, 1230. That gets underway before we even get to James. We'll have a couple of players available via phone calls and, and our, another game week opportunities gets underway. Check it out at lines247.com for all the latest updates. Our VIP subscribers know we bring it each and every game week. You won't miss any of those conversations that occur with Penn State coaches or players, not a single one. Uh, and just looking ahead of the schedule. Illinois on the road this Saturday. Then you come back home for the whiteout game against Iowa primetime on Saturday, September 23rd. Then you visit Northwestern, which is a program in serious peril right now. You've got a bye week, and you reemerge for homecoming in Beaver Stadium against UMass before Ohio State awaits. So uh, the stage is set here for Penn State in the first half of the season. I think that's fair to say. Mark, appreciate all the perspective. Always enjoy sharing the press box and the podcast with you. Uh, See you very shortly over at Beaver Stadium. Sure thing. Keep Calvaruso in line, please. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Tyler Calvaruso joins us. And Tyler, I know that you caught like the last 10 minutes or so of that segment at least. So I appreciate you showing some patience in, in, in the green room, waiting for your opportunity. Yeah, man. Of course. You know, any chance, any chance I get to talk ball, I got to wait my turn. That's all good with me. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, my friend. And, and we'll do our best to get you on every Monday as we discussed last week. And we got a few different directions we're going to take this recruiting segment with you. But I wanted to begin with kind of an early season look around in terms of who's getting it done on the football field from this Penn State commit list. Now, naturally, these Nittany Lions commits going from the 2024, 2025 and 2026 cycles right now. A lot of really impressive performances. These are big-time Power 5 prospects with a boatload of scholarship offers, and they're coming to Happy Valley for a reason. But I asked you to narrow it down to just a few for the sake of this conversation, and you want to lead off with the man who leads off 2024 rankings for this Penn State class. Yeah, Ethan Grunkmeyer, or excuse me, no, Quentin Martin. I don't, I don't know why. That, <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm anticipating Grunk's rise in the rankings. Who knows? He just but, le- you, you heard it here first, leaked a major leap in the rankings. <laughs> oh, man. 
But well, no, Quinn Martin, he, he's just humming along as usual. I mean, he had four total touchdowns in Bell Vernon's opener. He's the focal point of that offense. And his stat line each season of high school football has just steadily improved. So you're kind of at a point where you're expecting some really, really big things of him as a senior. And look, Bell Vernon has deep postseason aspirations, as it always does. And with Quentin Martin in the backfield, you have to think those aspirations are extremely realistic. So you're already seeing him getting off to a really hot start. I think you're going to continue to see a lot of the same from him as his senior season progresses. Makes an impact in the backfield, makes an impact catching passes out of the backfield, does it both ways in the secondary as well. So whenever you watch Bell Vernon tape, Quentin Martin is on it to some degree. Oh, by the way, he's a phenomenal basketball player as well. Uh, Last year, he ran for over 1,200 yards, about 8.8 yards per carry. He caught 28 passes, went over 400 receiving yards, six touchdowns through the air, uh, and also uh, another 22 on the ground. And I I do want to note that versatility that he brings. A lot of times you'll see a a pure running back talent, a guy who has been raised to take handoffs, maybe an occasional pitch, but he's a guy who just runs forward with the football. That's what he's done from peewee through high school. And then you get the high to the college level and the positional coach tries to teach him how to catch passes and how to be more of a complete running back. Now blocking linebackers at the power five level and blocking defensive ends and all that stuff. That's something that you can't really duplicate Mm -hmm. in high school, but you can work on your receiver game. And one thing that I've kept pointing to in the summer, and we talked about it a couple times here on the podcast was what sold me on Quentin Martin being on that, at least that five-star fringe and being a legitimate big time talent for you at the running back position. And really in this class was when we saw him split out and run those wide receiver routes and work against some really talented defensive backs. One-on-one, he may have been the best wide receiver in those particular Penn state camps. And there were power five receiver prospects present, So to me, I'm glad you referenced what he's doing on the field beyond just running with the football, because I think that's what makes him a weapon that this team could really exploit and look to utilize from year one. That's what the Penn State staff agrees with as well. I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. We And this was the story early in Martin's career when it was still kind of uncertain where exactly he was going to wind up playing at the next level, because... As good as he looked in the backfield, you can line him up at wide receiver. He's a high-level recruit. You can line him up at safety in the secondary. He's a high-level recruit. He could do so many different things at a top-tier level where it's like you could line him up anywhere and you're going to get pretty much an equal level of production. You don't have to worry about any skill set not translating or anything like that. Wherever you put him, whether it's at running back or wide receiver, he's going to get it done. And that kind of versatility is what makes him such an intriguing prospect and why he is where he is in the rankings beyond just him being an elite running back prospect because he is an elite running back prospect. You go watch the tape. He's as good as a runner in this 2024 class as anyone. But what makes him special and what helps him stand out is what he's able to do beyond his skills as a rusher. Soft hands. He's a good route runner whenever Belvern splits him out out wide. doesn't happen often. They usually check down on him out of the backfield. But whenever they put him out wide, he's an immediate mismatch for the defense. And that is something that Pennsylvania programs probably do not want to be dealing with every single Friday night. But, hey, look, that's the way it works. Martin's been dominating early on. He's looking to continue that, and he's looking to do it in a multitude of ways. Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, Journey Brown, 
Nick Singleton. Those are the names of the in-state running backs who have stuck around, come to Happy Valley, and become stars at this level. And obviously, a guy like Quentin Martin wants to do that, and so does Messiah Mickens as we work our way down to the 2026 class, one of the premier running back recruits in the country in that cycle. The likes of Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State offered him before his sophomore season, but he decided to commit to Penn State before his sophomore season back in mid-August. And if Quentin Martin wasn't the best running back that we saw in, in, in camp all summer long, and he was to me, I would go Messiah Minkins. I mean, we had a chance to see both him and Corey Smith, who's Penn State's other commit alongside Quentin Martin at the running back spot in 2024. Those guys were working side by side, you know, back and forth for an entire afternoon uh, in, in Mickens and and uh, who am I, the kid out of uh, Wisconsin who I just forgot Corey his name Smith. now, Corey Smith. Uh, and, and I came away convinced that Mickens was the superior talent in that vacuum of a, of a, of a sample size. You know, I haven't gone and, and been on the sidelines watching these guys race down the field against high school defenders. But from what we saw working closely with Jaywan Sider for multiple hours, being put through various drills, playing some cat and mouse, being asked to line up at wide receiver – Mickens to me was uh, I give the edge to him and and Corey Smith will get to prove me wrong in the coming years because those guys will be competing for opportunities in the same backfield but he is a realistic talent if we're putting Quentin Martin on the fringe of that five-star conversation in the 2024 cycle which still has a few months left to determine where guys land in rankings then Mickens is comfortably in the conversation to be a five-star in the 2026 cycle where he's already number 30 in our debut rankings at 24-7 sports. Yeah, none of that is a slight or, you know, talking down on Corey Smith. It's just the reality exactly. of how good of a prospect Messiah Mickens is at this point. You know, there's a few months left in that 2024 class for Martin to climb up the rankings. Mickens is going to have a few years to do it, and I think he can. He's already sitting at number 30 nationally, So, and I touched on this when those rankings dropped. If that was the final group of rankings for that 2026 class, guess what? He's a five-star. And I think he's definitely got the talent and the tools to stay in that range throughout his recruitment. I mean, you just watch him run. Early on his sophomore season, his first two games, he's posting over 200 rushing yards, multi-touchdown games in both games. Trinity wide missing happened on Friday night, and James Franklin made it out there in the chopper to check that one out. Got to see Mickens and Caleb Brewer go at it and it was a heartbreaker for trinity why missing overcame a pretty significant deficit oh my god i can't talk deficit to come back and win that game but mckenzie he was doing his thing out there and again just seeing these stat lines as a sophomore it's exciting if you're a penn state fan you see him dominating with relative ease on a weekly basis you know you, you start to fantasize about the future and what he's going to be capable of by the time he makes it to state college and he's in the penn state program and going through everything so he's got a really high ceiling, and he's off to a good start in the sophomore season. So he's showing that it's not just potential. He's got the production to match it. And by the way, last year, 960 yards on the ground, 18 touchdowns as a, as a freshman. He looks like he's going to be able to maybe double that rushing total. He stays healthy, yeah. and he keeps doing what he's been doing here as a sophomore. Uh, you wanted to get to Gronkemeyer at the top of the thing. Why don't Why don't we just do it now? Uh, look, he is number 200 in the country right now in the yeah. top 24-7. He was a three-star prospect uh, not too long ago when he committed to Penn State. Uh, we've had a chance to get eyeballs on him at the Elite 11 circuit. Uh, we've had a chance to now uh, get a couple uh, in. This is a game film, and he was at a seven-on-seven -seven tournament in Ohio State that he lit up in the summer. I mean, it's starting to stack up now where you're getting the new prospect profile, a fresh prospect profile, compared to the one that we were maybe looking back at when he initially got that offer in earlier this year. And, man, looking forward now with Kronkemeyer, this is going to be a factor competitor in this quarterback room moving ahead once he gets to campus starting in January. 
So the first two games of Grunkmeyer's senior season were really, really good. He was going out there, tossing it around, slinging it, getting done on the ground as well with some rushing touchdowns here and there. But his arm talent was shining through. And then in game three, you got to see a little bit different of a circumstance. And I could argue it was more impressive than anything he had done in the first two weeks of the season. He threw a couple of picks early against a good Olentangy Orange team, but he was able to bounce back post a couple more scores and lead them to a 17 to 10 win. And to see that kind of a mental makeup out of a high school kid, you know, granted he has a high level prospect, but still we're talking about, you know, a 17 year old, he throws a couple of interceptions early. He can get down on himself. He's going up against a good opponent. That program could sense that and pounce on Gronkamar and Olentangy, but he hung in there, man. He made all the throws he had to make throughout the game and really settled in nicely as the game went on, made a couple of clutch throws, picked up some, bunch of key first downs so that kind of makeup and ability to bounce back it's arguably as impressive as anything he has accomplished so far in his senior season it's one of the reasons that Penn State is so excited about him it's not just the arm talent it's the mental makeup he has too he has shown an ability to when Penn State first started talking to him you know talking about scheme how he would fit everything like that he picked up on what Mike Yurchish was telling him very very quickly and that was something that stood out and I think now you're seeing not only the mental ability to pick up on scheme and things like that quickly. But now you're seeing he's got the mental toughness too, because that Olentangy orange team that he played on Friday night, solid program. They got talent on both sides of the ball. So he had to overcome that. Now his team is three, and zero, and he's a huge reason why. I love how you're kind of evaluating these games with a little bit of nuance, not all created equal, as you just pointed out. And so a different kind of performance to file away for Grunkemeyer, who spent some time this summer training with Drew Aller. He works under the same personal QB trainer that Drew continues to use and had used uh, previously in his Ohio high school career and Brad Mendler. And hopefully folks caught Brad Mendler's appearance on this podcast back in July when he predicted very confidently uh, a junior to senior season spike for Grunkemeyer, much like the one we saw for Drew Aller take place now, Aller was already ahead of the curve in terms of rankings. Uh, by the time that senior season showed up, he became Mr. Ohio football, ultimately cemented his status as the number one overall quarterback in our rankings. But if you look at how Grunkemeyer has worked himself from a three-star prospect to a top 200 overall recruit in 24-7 sports determination, just let, let our guys evaluate you know, 10, 12 games of this kid at the end of it, and we'll see where he lands in the rankings so far. Certainly off to a good start, making his case for a continued push up those quarterback rankings. And the last name we wanted to get to here, also in the 2024 class, a guy that we saw Grunkler connect with a bit on the camp circuit this summer, Peter Gonzalez, committed to the Nittany Lions back in June. Uh, he is back on the field with Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. And remember, missed a, a, a big chunk of time last year due to an injury he suffered in the offseason. It impacted him as he tried to get back to his old self on the football field. And I know him and his family were really excited for him to get these early opportunities. What are the takeaways that you're seeing thus far from Gonzalez, who's considered a three-star talent in 24-7 sports ratings these days? Gonzalez is doing essentially what we anticipated he was going to do. He looks 100% and showcasing the level of athlete that he is as his receiver spot. They open the Pittsburgh Central Catholic opens the season against Woodland Hills. He has a couple of touchdowns, follows that up next week with an insane one-handed catch. I mean, he's just he, he's a walking matchup nightmare for opposing cornerbacks given his size, speed, and athleticism. And again, he is back to 100%. I think he is the athlete that he was before the ACL injury, and he's showing a lot on film. And I think that this kind of plays into the evaluation that Penn State had and why it decided to push as hard as it did down the stretch in his recruitment. You know, he really impressed 
during the spring with those track times and on the camp circuit. So you could tell that the closer he got to being 100%, you're starting to see more and more of the player that he really is. And I think if he wasn't 100% during the camp circuit, he had to be like 99.9% because he was so impressive throughout the spring and summer. And now you're seeing it translate with the pads go on. So you factor in that size, that speed, the wingspan, you know, the catch radius that Peter Gonzalez has. He's going out there and doing it so far. And we've discussed him as a potential four-star guy. I think if he keeps this up, he's got a real chance at that. Yeah, one of three wide receivers who came on board uh, with Marcus Higgins in that class in, in this summer. Uh, really strong stretch. Uh, Tysier Denmark, who initially committed to Oregon, and, and then you got a burner uh, out of New York and Josiah Brown on board as well. Can we stay at Central Catholic in Pittsburgh for just a second, Tyler Calvaruso? Because uh, one of the younger teammates on that roster with Peter Gonzalez is Colson Gatton. Uh, he is a Penn State legacy. He also has a scholarship offer from the Nittany Lions. That offer list for him early on as a sophomore features Nebraska, Pittsburgh, and Wisconsin as well. And I know you caught up with Colson Gatton to get kind of uh, the lay of the land for his early recruitment plans, uh, and Penn State is on them. Yeah, still very early, but it's going to be two trips to Penn State this fall for him. Already had the one with the season opener, a trip in which he really enjoyed, got the chance to catch up with Terry Smith and Manny Diaz briefly after the game. Relationships are coming along nicely there, I would say. Really likes Manny Diaz and just the way Penn State's linebackers do things and go about their business. So that's a plus for the Nittany Lions. He's going to be he's gonna be a busy man this fall. He's going to be checking out all the schools who have offered. He was actually at Pittsburgh this past weekend. He's going to be checking out Nebraska. And he's going to be checking out Wisconsin. I believe the Wisconsin visit is the one that occurs in October. And then he's going to be making it back to Penn State for the Michigan game in November. So two looks at the Nittany Lions for their legacy recruit this fall and it'll be interesting to see how his development comes along you know where he ultimately winds up on that 2026 board but one interesting note with Gatton right now is we've been hearing he's running the 40 in about the four or five range so a sophomore linebacker his size I'd say that's pretty good and that's something that uh keeps your eyes open if you're the Penn State coaching staff yeah, we've got Gatton at 24-7 sports at 6'1 and a half, 210 pounds. His father was a monster in the WPIAL, uh, Penn State linebacker Aaron Gatton. And, and this brings up an interesting topic because by my count, there's at least three legitimate, notable offers out there right now to high school players who are Penn State legacies. And, and the other two, uh, a little bit older, and, and one of them, Michael Carroll on the offensive line, where, where are we with Carroll right now? It feels like things continue to trend in a good direction. I know Michigan made an impression when he got it to that campus as well. Uh, but while we're on the subject of legacies, anything to add to that conversation? Not really. Not really anything necessarily new coming out of our conversation following the season opener in which Penn State continued to separate itself from the field. I think that's just kind of going to continue throughout Cal's recruitment until, the, until he gets to the point where he's ready to make a decision. And he's not necessarily in a rush to do so, so I don't think that's going to be coming anytime soon. But I think Penn State has laid the groundwork to ultimately win this recruitment. And it goes beyond Michael Carroll just being a legacy. I mean, his relationship with Phil Trotwin has come along really, really nicely. And I, he's get again, we just talked about all these 2024 commits getting it done on the field during their senior seasons. Michael Carroll has been really impressive so far as a junior at Central Bucks East, his new stomping ground. So there's a lot to like there from the evaluation standpoint. And he's like in Penn State right now. I think it'll be interesting to see if he gets back to Michigan. Because again, that was kind of the one where when that offer came in in late July, Made things a little bit interesting. It seemed like the gap was closed a little bit, and it was closed because the Michigan interest is legitimate. But ever since then, I think, you know, coming off the high of picking up such a big time Big Ten offer, 
I think Penn State is really solid at the top of his list right now. And, I, you know, like I said, I think the groundwork for Penn State to get this one done at some point in the future is there. Yeah, and they've got they're a good spot with two interior two interior offensive linemen in this 2025 cycle, uh, and Michael Carroll, and then the other being Josh Williams. Both of them picking up an offer in the summer. Both of them back on campus uh, for the season opener. Both of them excited about what that experience uh, meant to them and their recruitment process. And we like the way things are trending there. Carroll, by the way, number 18 overall at the interior offensive line position in 24/7 Sports evaluation. And one other name I wanted to get on this legacy subject, also in the 2025 class, and he's in a bit of a different tier in terms of these rankings at number 187 overall a top 25 linebacker from one of the premier programs in the country St. Joe's Prep in Philadelphia Anthony Saka this is a guy that I know a lot of folks have been asking you about the offer sheet tells the story two dozen of, of America's best programs battling it out here what is Penn State's position uh, with Saka and, and and where exactly does it go from here I think Penn State has been in a pretty good spot for a while, and just because he didn't really visit a whole lot during the spring and summer, uh, that's not an indication of the Nittany Lions falling down his list. It really just came down to the fact that he had been to Penn State a bunch early in his recruitment. He wanted to get out and check out other schools like Ohio State. He has told me he's planning on returning at some point during the fall. I'm hoping to get a look at St. Joe's Prep when they come to Jersey this week, and they're going to be taking on Don Bosco. So hope that's where I'm going to be looking to make it Friday night, and I'll be looking to catch up with Saka, assuming I do indeed make it there, which, I mean, 99% sure I'm <laughs> going to be there. Let's be honest. But, uh, you know, hopefully I could get the chance to catch up with him, see where his head is at in terms of visit plans and when exactly he might be looking to make it to campus. But he has indeed told me that he is planning a return visit to Penn State this fall. And that's obviously encouraging because, you know, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, those three schools are there, and they're pushing just as hard as Penn State is. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we will keep tabs on that. His father, Tony, of course, was a quarterback at uh, Penn State, went on to play in the NFL. Um, and, and and when we look, by the way, I hope I hope you're able to get there. I hope, nothing, I hope you don't get a better offer for Friday night because that's a <laughs> hell of a matchup. And and that St. Joe's prep squad is loaded with Penn State targets. And that's a program where you'd love to see more inroads made by the Nittany Lions, especially with some of these younger towns down the road. Uh, Tyler, I asked you to kind of give us a little bit of a lay of the land with the 2024 class. We're still a, a three months and, and a couple weeks away from the early signing period for the 2024 cycle, but it gets, you know, it started to feel late this summer. Once the, once Penn state began filling up those committed spots and, and now you've got other guys coming off the board elsewhere. What do we need to know about the 2024 class? A, a notable target recently came off the board, but there are a few floating out there and maybe some coaching shakeups in the college football landscape could also play a role here. Yeah, it's definitely getting late early with all the spots already. Well, not all the spots. Most of the spots in the 2024 class being filled relatively early, really during the spring and summer. Penn State hammered down a lot of its top targets, especially during official visit season. So the staff is able to accomplish that. Not a whole lot left in 24, but definitely still some spots remaining. And Penn State is looking to add and close that class out on a high note. I and mean, when it comes to the coaching stuff, I mean, look no further than Michigan State and what's going on with Mel Tucker and how that could potentially impact its 2024 recruiting class. Nick Marsh was a top target for the Nittany Lions, really. Even when he committed to Michigan State the first time around, Penn State never stopped going after the top 24-7 wide out for Michigan. And, you know, look, I spent uh, – once that Tucker news broke, I spent some time checking in, you know, maybe trying to get an idea of where Marsh's head was at. And you're definitely not going to get a rash or imminent decision out of him. Or I don't think any member of the Michigan State 2024 recruiting class, to be honest with you. I think a lot of those guys are going to wait and see how this one plays out. But, you know, 
Penn State hasn't stopped trying to recruit Marsh, and that was before this, and he wasn't exactly shutting down communication. So, you know, maybe he starts to listen a little bit more seriously now, and that goes beyond Penn State as well. Pittsburgh was involved with Marsh until the end. Kansas was involved with Marsh until the end. So maybe he gives Penn State and those two programs I just mentioned a little bit more of a consideration now. But you also have to circle back to what mattered to Marsh the most in his recruitment the first time around. His family was a big factor in it. And there were members of his family, you know, his mother was one of them that wanted him to stay close to home. And the, the map didn't change just because of what's going on with Mel Tucker right now. And Michigan State is still very close to home. You know, Michigan is home for Nick Marsh. So that's something that has to be taken into account. I think it's just going to be one that we're monitoring moving forward. Obviously, one, you have to monitor what is going to happen with Mel Tucker once that investigation wraps up and, you know, assuming – there is a change or anything of that nature, just an overall uncertainty. The longer the investigation goes on, where does that leave Michigan State's 2024 recruiting class? Do guys start to look around? Marsh is one of the premier prospects in that class. And so there are going to be a lot of eyes on him. And there are definitely a lot of eyes in state college on him because he is a guy Penn State wants in its 2024 recruiting class. Marsh at number 169 overall and a name that we had talked about a lot uh, in the past year in the podcast, but we hadn't discussed him for a while since that July commitment to Michigan State. But I think all bets are off right now with the Spartans, and I don't think anyone's really anticipating Mel Tucker to reemerge from this situation as the face of the franchise. So that, that's going to bring a lot of questions about where they are with their recruiting class. Good point there. Uh, Nigel Smith has been a defensive uh, line focus for a while. He came off the board just a few days ago committing to the Oklahoma Sooners which is where the crystal ball was pointing to uh anything defensively we need to be monitoring closely uh as the season gets underway and I'm also you know Jamonte Waller big time as we're reach, reach as we're circling back on some names the Florida Gators did start the season in, in phenomenal fashion I think there's a lot of concern about how they may fare in SEC play this year and Waller being a five-star talent that, that spent considerable time at Penn State, it felt like the Nittany Lions spent a little bit of time maybe on top of that leaderboard. Ultimately, he committed to the Gators this summer, but is that another name that we've got to at least keep a pulse, uh, keep, our, keep our finger on the pulse of? It is. You know, I, I think it would probably take a coaching change for something to happen there. I don't think he's necessarily keen on leaving Florida just if some struggles occur. I mean, those struggles already have occurred, but – I think, uh, again, I just mentioned geographer Nick Marsh. I think that's a big part of his Florida commitment. He does like the staff there. So I, I think a change could precipitate some uh, some changes in his own line of thinking. But obviously that's got to be something that – you know, has to come to fruition before we really get into it. But Penn State and a bunch of programs have, you know, kind of kept their finger on the pulse with Waller to see where he's at. So that's uh, that's gonna be one we keep an eye on. There, there are a couple of like that. There are a couple like that. Amaris Williams was another one who, um, you know, wound up coming to Florida. Penn State got him on campus for an official visit during the first weekend of June, and that visit went well. I mean. It, he told Brian Doan that the Nittany Lions are at the top of his list, and that was before the Florida official visit. So. Maybe a change there changes things for him. I haven't really heard his name pop up in conversation recently, but he was one who just popped into my mind, given the fact that we're talking about Florida. Beyond top, that, top one hundred defensive lineman, yeah. by the way, uh, uh, Morris Williams. They, they like him a lot. Deion Barnes out of North like Carolina, him a lot. Yeah, Clinton High in North Carolina. He's a really intriguing prospect. Assuming he sticks with Florida, the Gators are getting a good one. But beyond that, SEC program. I mean, USC. 
has Elijah Newby and David Polly Polly, who were both high on Penn State's board. Newby, the top 24-7 linebacker. Hey, look, I mean, he has an official visit open to Penn State if he wants to take one. I'm, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I've heard he's pretty solid with USC at this point in his recruitment. So I'm not really sure if Penn State is going to move the needle for him moving forward. Kind of- Same school as Luke Reynolds. Yes. Same school as, uh, who's committed as a top tight end prospect in this class. And I know he would, would like to see Newby you know, make that trip to campus as well. But oh, yeah. I mean, you're, bring, you're bringing up all these names and USC is a team that's you know, projected to be a contender as well deep into this thing. But the longer Penn State can sustain positive momentum and remain among the elites or the perceived elites here in 2023, the more that can do for you during late stages of the 2024 cycle and Drew Aller's success. We've talked about that. That they, uh, There's a lot of things in play here, and it's still too early to really have them magnified on the recruiting trail. But we've said for a long time, just keep in mind, if Penn State really does a launch situation here and looks like a college football playoff contender, doors will be open. Guys will reevaluate their situation, reevaluate how they feel about Penn State. There's a cool factor involved with recruiting. Guys don't really love playing through their high school season and having everyone tell them on Sundays how poorly their future program is performing. If Penn State can keep stringing together performances that feature you know, some, some fireworks from their players and wins at the end of the game, uh, they're, they're going to put themselves in a spot to maybe topple some recruiting plans for other programs. So I'm glad you brought up some committed guys. We don't like to speculate too much on that stuff with our coverage yeah. at lines247.com, but we're entering the part of the calendar year where you do start to circle back to some of those names. There will be others that pop up based on strong September game film. Maybe a few offers got here and there to a couple positions. But but I, I think right now we're, we're kind of monitoring some of the names that we know just because Penn State's going to be in a spot to weather the storm of a season while other schools and other coaching staffs you know, hit the hot seat. You know, not even really for the programs that hit the hot seat. I mean, you talk about USC, and obviously the Trojans, they're on track to have a very good year. But you look at guys like Newby and Polly Polly who are in Penn State's recruiting footprint geographically. So even if USC has the great season that we're all anticipating they're going to have and Penn State continues on the trajectory that we're anticipating they continue on, you know, you can move the needle with a guy like that regardless of what the school that he's committed to is doing just because of your location, proximity to home, like especially with Polly Polly. I know he's not from Pennsylvania and there's been talk about you know maybe potentially the whole family making a move out to Southern California assuming he does indeed wind up with the Trojans so that's part of it but uh yeah again look you know things things can change it's it's recruiting things change all the time now it's more likely with the programs that struggle and those recruits who are committed to those programs than it is a guy who's committed to USC and is seeing winning right in front of him and not only seeing winning right in front of him he's seeing a program that is coming to the Big Ten. So maybe the proximity to home deal kind of dies down a little bit because you're going to be playing a Big Ten schedule and you could be able to play programs that are a little bit closer to where you're from and your family could get out and see you play that way. That makes things a little bit easier. I mean, you're seeing USC with Jalen Harvey as well. So it's not just kids that are currently committed to the Trojans that Penn State is fighting for. It's the uncommitted front as well. So there's a lot going on there. But, yeah, Penn State's going to continue working that flip front. They're going to work it hard. And I think when it comes to making a splash to end the cycle, that's probably their best chance of doing it, going out and generating a big-time flip or two. 
Well, if you could do that from a position of power because of what you're doing on the football field Saturdays, it can really open up some options for you. Right now, Penn State at 24 total commits, number 11 overall in the top 24-7 class rankings. Uh, again, early signing period comes in late December. Uh, the second signing period comes in early February of 2024, and we'll see what Penn State gets out of all that. Uh, let's wrap up this conversation, Tyler Calvaruso, with a look toward that whiteout guest list that's coming together. Uh, following that week one guest list, which was uh, dozens of on committed targets, a lot of intrigue there. We, we talked about that last Monday. Uh, kind of a, a fall to earth uh, with, with week two in that guest list, and, and that's to be expected. A noon kickoff makes it more of a challenge for guys to get to campus because of their own games. Uh, an FCS kickoff is obviously a lot less appealing than a primetime Saturday night showdown against a Power Five opponent, but we've got one of the marquee recruiting events on the calendar here for Penn State in the form of a whiteout game on September 23rd when Iowa comes to town. We've had plenty of guys. Keandre Lambert-Smith comes to mind uh, saying, I, I committed because I couldn't shake the whiteout from my mind. Like that was at the forefront when these guys set some, you know, sat down to make their choice. So you never know whether it's a, a, a sophomore or a senior who could ultimately be swayed by what they experience. Three names on this list I challenge you to pick from. I know it's already a pretty deep list, but who are the three names? You can start wherever you'd like. Might as well start with the most recent confirmation that we have on the visitor front. That'll be top 24-7 tight end, Nate Roberts, the former Notre Dame commit. When he backed off that commitment to the Fighting Irish, we immediately pinpointed that he was going to be making a visit back to Penn State at some point, and the whiteout was his target, and he will indeed be on campus for the Iowa game, and that's a pretty big deal for Penn State, I would say. This is going to be a star-studded visitors list, and Roberts is really – right up there at the top in terms of level of talent and priority and where he is on the Penn State board. He is an elite tight end prospect, and they got him on campus during the winter for a junior day, and that visit went really, really well. And he basically went as far as saying, you know, Penn State is a place he could see himself playing, and he wanted to get back for another visit. Now, obviously, ultimately, he wound up committing to Notre Dame, and that was off the table for a little bit. But now that he's back on the market, he will be at Penn State. And that is a very big addition of this visitors list uh where else are we going i mean that, that's one that that we know the tight end position you like penn state chances whenever they get a guy on campus to, to make a strong impression where else are we looking on on that saturday the main two that i'm looking at are the dmv natives in uh terry care top 100 defensive back from washington dc places ball at st john's college and Xavier Bridges-Brooks from Rock Creek Christian. So Bridges-Brooks is actually going to be in Pennsylvania on Friday night because his team plays Malvern Prep. So that's going to be a really easy visit for him to make. He was last on campus for the Blue-White game in April. He has the Nittany Lions high on his list. And Hayer, so he wanted to visit for the Lash Bash barbecue at the end of July. He didn't have a ride. He told me that was something that he was actually pretty disappointed about. He was really looking forward to that visit. He wound up visiting Maryland that day, so it wasn't a complete loss of visit, so that's good for his sake. But he'll be coming back for the whiteout, and I think that is also pretty important for Penn State because he is another high-level prospect who has the Nittany Lions high on his list, and not only has them high on their list, but he wants to learn more, to kind of, and that will help Penn State solidify its standing with Tariq Hare. So that's a big visit coming up for him. Hopefully he's able to make this one. I think he's got his plans locked in already. I don't think he's going to have any travel uh, issues this time around. So this is another trip that Hare is really, really excited about. He's looking forward to get back, connecting with the staff, and he is a big-time prospect. You know, I would really want to emphasize that. That kid can play, and Penn State wants him at corner.
Three important names there from the 2025 class to keep tabs on when Beaver Stadium fills up for the whiteout. As you said, Nate Roberts, who's considered the number two tight end in 24-7 sports rankings for that entire class. Tariq Hayer as a top 15 cornerback. And then Xavier Bridges-Brooks, also out of Maryland, a top 30 safety. Uh, and again, those are just a few of the many, many names that will come as the formation of that list continues. Keep tabs at lines247.com. And one thing that whiteout does is draw some out-of-region guys. Guys will get on planes for unofficial visit and just take a chance to bring their family. Sometimes they'll fly solo, uh, we've seen, for the whiteout game with prospects. So those are things that tend to pop up a little bit closer to kickoff. Someone makes a, a, a late decision to get on a plane or mom and dad get on the plane with them. So some surprises may be uh, awaiting this list as we get a little nearer to kickoff, which we're still uh, 12 days out from as we speak now. Tyler Cabaruso, fantastic stuff at lines247.com and here on the podcast, as always, looking forward to our next conversation. I know you got a bunch of content coming up for our readers, uh, especially those who have VIP access at lines247.com. So thank you very much, my friend. Yeah, next time I'm on, I'm sure that whiteout visitors list is going to be a hell of a lot bigger. So me and you are going to have a lot to talk about. I have no doubt. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. Good stuff from Tyler Calvaruso. Before him, Mark Brennan, my colleagues at lines247.com. We were going to be back with our second episode on Tuesday of this week. We'll be fresh out of Beaver Stadium where we will hear from James Franklin at the podium for his week three press conference. We'll have spoken to a few different Nittany Lions players by the time we sit down for our next podcast with you as well. And we'll welcome on Jeremy Werner, Illinois beat reporter from our 24-7 Sports Network, to give us a full review of Penn State's first conference opponent, of 2023 another episode coming your way thursday and then of course following the matchup on saturday we'll have our post-game podcast as we are settled in now to our four episode per week format in the season for everyone at lines 247.com i am tyler donahue thanks as always for listening this has been the lions 24 7 podcast